So this morning, we are officially in the Christmas season. Who's excited? Ooh, all right, there's some. There's some. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I paid them off earlier. Uh, we are in the Christmas season. We are officially there. The lights are going up. The snow is falling. Uh, we're there. And to celebrate, we start our new Christmas series, Ugly Christmas Sweater. Uh, in recent years, last decade, 15 years, uh, ugly Christmas sweaters have become uh, quite the tradition. Quite the tradition. Do we have any fans of ugly Christmas sweaters out there? Anybody? Just, just a few, just a few. Uh, I, I thought about asking people, like, hey, go ahead and wear your ugly Christmas sweaters to help us get in the mood for this thing. And, but I, I was thinking about it. I've seen a few of you and a few of your ugly Christmas sweaters, and they're just not, let's say, designed with church in mind. And so I'm like, better not just tempt fate in that area. Uh, but when I was researching ugly Christmas sweaters, because I wanted to have one for each week uh, to wear, uh, I was surprised at how much they've really expanded. Like, this whole phenomenon has gotten so big, they have ugly Christmas sweaters for literally everything now. There is, like, no end to the variety that is out there. But that does not just go, that truth does not just go for sweaters, um, what I mean is I feel like this past few years and recently, more recently with this pandemic, there has been no shortage of ugly in our country. You know what I mean? It just feels like things are so ugly right now. And uh, I feel like when I talk to people, and even when I think about the ugly that's out there, we're so good at talking about the ugly that we see around us and outside of us and what other people are doing. But I notice I don't reflect often or talk about often with others, and I, know, I notice they don't talk about it with me as often, the ugly that is inside of us. But the truth is that the same capacity we see for ugly in other people, we have inside of us. And we can spend so much time noticing the ugly that everybody else has that we can forget to look at the ugly that is inside of us. And so what I want to do these next four weeks is I want us to look at the ugly that's inside because we all have it. We all have it. And, and I want us to even more see how God can take that ugly and make it beautiful for his glory. Because in this Christmas season, we have a special opportunity to point people to the beauty in Christ. But we can't do that if all that's coming out of us is the ugly. And so it's my prayer over this series, you'll ask the Lord, probably maybe something you've never asked him before, Lord, show me my ugly. Show me my ugly this, this Christmas season. Now, the first ugly that I, I want to look at is our thought life. I want to look at our ugly thoughts. Why? Because our thought life is the birthplace for all of the other ugly that happens in our lives. Whether it be our motives, whether it be our, our words, our actions, it all begins with our thought life. These inner conversations that we all have with ourselves. And we have these negative, ugly conversations with ourselves a lot. And I think that's because, or I know it's because what the Bible tells us of the sin that is inside us, the sin that separates us from God. It always leans us toward the ugly. And if you don't believe me or you don't think that's right, I just want you to pop onto Facebook and go to some local town's mom's group or dad's group or any town group, and you'll see plenty of ugly. There's lots of ugly that comes out of us. 
Or, or even have you, you ever noticed that as you go throughout the day, you can have 55 good experiences, you can have three bad experiences, but what are the ones that consume your thoughts and your minds? It's the ugly. We can be grown up and people can speak good into our lives and they can speak bad to our lives, but we tend to hold on to the bad. We tend to hold on to the ugly. And if we're not careful, it can define us. And I don't know about you, but I get tired of that. I get tired of wrestling with the ugly, being dominated by those thoughts that lead to sadness and, and depression and, and anger uh, and jealousy and anxiety and hopelessness. But the good news is, because of Christ, we don't have to stay like that. We don't have to live that way. We may start in that place of being negative and having that ugly, but we can rewire our minds. We can rewire our minds. Do you know that? Because some people don't know that. I talk to some people when I'm counseling, and they, don't, they think they're just this way, and that nothing is going to change. But we can rewire our minds, and that should give us hope this morning. In fact, Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind. Now this verse is an instruction that Paul gives, but it's an also an encouragement to us. Because Paul's not asking us to do something that's not possible for us. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can rewire our minds where we're not dominated by the ugly. It's good news this morning. It's good news. But to get there, the question must be asked, how do we rewire our minds? How do we rewire the ugly thoughts that are inside of us? For some of us, it seems like an overwhelming and daunting task. Given all the negative, all the ugly that grows through our minds, the ugly about the situations in the world, the ugly about our future, the ugly uh, about what we think about other people, the ugly that we feel and think when we look in the mirror. Well, the good news is the Bible tells us how to do it. it tells us how to do it time and time again. And here it is. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, what church? It uh, says what? Rejoice. 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 Paul says, you want to rewire your mind, you want to rewire the way you think, you need to rejoice. Now, some of us, and I thought this for a long time, we wrongly identify this idea of joy, of rejoicing as a human emotion. Like, uh, it's a reactionary feeling to events that bring us joy. Like the side of a Christmas tree packed full of Christmas presents brings joy, right? And the, the problem is when we have this view, it leads to frustration because how can we be commanded to produce emotion, right? Because when I get a flat tire, I'm like, I don't feel joy. Or I, my tooth breaks off like it did this week. I don't feel joy. How do we, how do, we do this? But the thing is, rejoice in the Greek, charo. It's not to conjure up some feeling. It's a choice that someone makes. It's a choice to focus on joy. To rejoice is a decision that you make. 
And it's a decision that is commanded by God. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul says again, rejoice always. Rejoicing is a literal command of God. There's verse after verse after verse after verse. So the question is, how are you doing with that command? How are you doing with that command to rejoice? Now, in the next verse, Paul tells you what happens when you rejoice in the Lord. This is good stuff here. He says in verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let everybody know how reasonable you are. Does everybody know how reasonable you are? Would they look at you and say, that is a reasonable person? Would they? Now, the word epikis, which is the Greek word here, it means a gentle spirit. And it has like this richer meaning, like there's not a great English word to just transfer this, to just, uh, transfer this across in the English language. There's not a great word for it. And so you'll see Bible versions try to tackle it from different angles, angles commentators as well. But I think perhaps the best corresponding English, in my opinion, is, is the idea of graciousness. The graciousness of humility. The humble graciousness that produces the patience to endure hardships, injustice, Disgrace, mistreatment, without retaliation, without bitterness, without vengeance. It's this contentment, no matter what's going on around us. This is what rejoicing brings. It brings this gracious contentment. Now, I bet if I asked all of you, would you love to be someone who is content there would not be a person in here that would say, no, I do not want that. We want that contentment. We want that peace. Well, this is what rejoicing brings. And I'll tell you why. Because joy is, is, is it's like a buoyancy. Joy is a buoyancy in our lives, a, a, a spiritual buoyancy. That's what joy is. It is a spiritual buoyancy in our lives. Because after all, what is buoyancy? It's something that stays afloat, right? Like a buoy in the water you see out in the ocean, it gets knocked around, it gets hit, but it never sinks. It never goes under. And this is what joy should be in our lives. Paul speaks to this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not what church? We're not destroyed. He's talking about buoyancy here. We're knocked down, but we do not drown. Now, this does not mean we are impervious to suffering, but it means we're unsinkable. It may mean we're constantly getting wet. We're constantly being pushed down, but we don't stay down. We don't sink. This is what joy does for you in your lives. This is what's true of people who choose to rejoice. I don't know about you, but I need more spiritual buoyancy in my life. Anybody else with me? And then you need to rejoice. You need to rejoice always. But this isn't any kind of like general rejoicing, is it? Paul doesn't just say rejoice. He says rejoice in the who? The Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord. Now, what is important about rejoicing in the Lord versus just rejoicing in general? Hear me on this. 
For there to be joy in your life, the joy has to be greater than the ugly. It has to outweigh the ugly in your life. Like if, if, if I'm standing outside my house and my wife, she brings me one of my favorite candy bars, a hundred grand candy bar. And she goes, here, honey. And she gives it to me while my house is burning down. I am not going to find a lot of joy in the candy bar in that moment, right? Because my house is burning down. The joy, it does not outweigh the ugly. But Paul's saying, see, listen, when you have joy, when you rejoice in the Lord, it will always be greater than the ugly. Always. Some of you here today, you don't have joy in your lives because your joy is in things that will never be or cannot be greater than the ugly that can overcome them. I'll give you a few examples. When the Israelites, when Jesus was born, like I said in our devotional earlier, they were under Roman oppression and they wanted a savior to come. And that's when the angels appeared to them. And he said, do not be afraid, for I, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then what did they do? They ran off and they excited. Hey, we just saw a bunch of angels. The Savior's here. Like, whoa, here's the Savior. They've been waiting hundreds of years for this Savior to come. And here he is, lying in a manger. But this wasn't like boss baby. It wasn't like Jesus was going to get out of his crib, put on his like, his like king outfit, march up there and kick Caesar out. Like it, it wasn't, you know, it's not like the Romans just like, oh, Jesus is born. Let us run away. And yet the joy was still greater than what was going on. Why? Because the birth of Jesus brought them hope. And that hope brought them joy. It wasn't their present circumstances. It wasn't that God delivered them right in that moment. It was the promise of what God was going to do. Far too many of us, our joy are in our present circumstances. They're in right here in front of us. They're not in a hope that we find in God. 1851, there's this English missionary. His name was Alan Gardiner. And he shipwrecked with a number of other people off this remote little island. I can't remember the name of it. And it was off the south, uh, I remember off the tip of South America. Anyway, and they all died one at a time. And he was the last one alive before he died. And he kept a journal that they found later. And this was the, literally the last entry he put in there. And this is a quote of Psalms 34. He says, young lions do lack and they suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not lack anything. Like I said, how do we normally come to the conclusion that God is good and we have joy in him? It's when everything is good, right? When there's enough money in the bank account, when we fall in love, right? When we've uh, got a new job, when things are going well, where our health is fantastic, where everything's right on plan. We're like, God's good. But this man is literally dying, dying. He is starving to death, and yet he is writing of the good news of God. I guarantee you there are millionaires out there right now who would give their money to have that kind of peace, that kind of joy. How could he have it? He didn't have food. He had death on his door because his hope was in God. His hope was in God and, 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 and the peace and the joy that came from that hope. And let me tell you where that hope was found. 
Romans 8. Paul says, I am confident that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the promise of heaven is what brought Alan hope in that moment. He had this long-term, eternal perspective, and there was no ugly in his life that could take away the joy of heaven. There's literally nothing, nothing that could take away that joy that spiritual buoyancy in his life. Do you have that perspective today? Do you have that perspective? You see, this is the long-term view that God gives you that goes beyond your present circumstances. And it's not just for eternity, it's even just long-term in our lives. I was at a wedding last night and I was having a nice conversation with a young nine-year-old named Justin. And he asked me what I was preaching about this week. He watches almost every week online. And, uh, and I was telling him, well, I'm talking about joy. And so he goes, I have a story about joy. I'm like, what? You're a nine-year-old. You have a story about joy. He said, yeah. He goes, in school, uh, I like to raise my hand and answer questions. But he's like, teacher would never call on me. And I would get so angry and I would get so frustrated. And he said, but then one day, there was this super, this is what he said, it was very cute. There was this super hard question, and I knew the answer, and I raised my hand, and I finally got called on. And I got to answer it. I got to be a part of it. I had joy. So cute. I should have had to come up here and tell it himself. You see, it's a fun little story, but he was frustrated because he thought, I'm never going to get to answer this question. I'm never going to be a part. I'm never going to show the teacher what I got. And I was thinking last night as I was riding home, I'm like, how many of us are in this kind of spot in our lives where, where we want to do something or we want God to use us for something or we want God uh, to make something happen in our lives and, and he's not coming through and we're, we're, we're so frustrated. And, and if God says, look, okay, I'll give you what you want right now. If you want it, we would say yes. Just like I, I bet that I bet Justin, he'd be like, the teacher said, okay, I'll, 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 next question I'll answer, uh, I'll give it to you. And he'll be like, yes. But he wouldn't realize that he got this bigger, tougher question coming down the road that would even be more exciting for him. And I wonder how many of us, we have our joy stolen because we're looking at our circumstances, we're looking at what God's not doing right now, and we're not focused on what God may be doing. Some of us, man, we long to get married, walk down the aisle, Man, and we're sad and we're depressed because we're not married. But we're not thinking, what? Maybe, maybe God has something better down the road. Maybe I'm not married because I'm not ready. And if I got married right now, my marriage would be in shambles. Maybe there's more that God has to do in me. Or sometimes there's some of us, you know, God, I just hate my job. I hate my boss. I want to move on, but God won't provide anything. And it takes our joy without realizing that maybe there's a work that God wants to do in us in that tough job. Or maybe what he has for us next is just not ready. And there's example after example after example. But when your trust is in God, the promise giver and the promise keeper, then you can have joy saying, you know what, God, he's at work. I believe what I read in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good, even the tough stuff for those who love him. That's a call to his promises. That's joy beyond your circumstances. 
Because at the end of the day, we don't know what's good for us. We don't know what's bad for us. We know what we want. We know what we don't know, what we don't want. But that's often based on our sin and our selfishness. But God works together for our good. And when it's on him and not those circumstances, there's joy. And this even goes to to sin in our lives. It's so important that we understand what salvation and a relationship with God is. Because for some of us, the reason that we look for joy in those present circumstances, in that moment, and that's what defines whether we have joy or not, is because we don't understand the relationship with God that we have. We don't understand the security and the confidence that we can have in our relationship. When we do good, we feel close to God. When we feel bad, we feel far from God, as if, as, as if we earned it by our goodness. And so there's no joy in there to be found. We're always found wanting because we're always messing up. There's always lots of ugly, right? But when you understand that you are justified by faith in what Christ did upon the cross, in him paying the price for your sin, not you paying and him paying, but him paying the bill with his life, you have this peace. You don't feel the condemnation. You realize, man, I'm born again because of God to a living hope. And my trust is in him, not in me, it's in him. My, my confidence in my relationship with God when I put my faith in him is, is in him and who he is, not who I am. And that confidence, it goes beyond my circumstances. It's how I can choose, I can rejoice no matter what's going on. And this isn't just a one-time forgiveness, it's throughout our entire lives. Because, you know, like I talked about last week, once we put our faith in Christ, we just don't have an angel come down and bless us, and then we speak words of life and truth and, and all goodness. We continue to sin, don't we? But there's joy to be found there. Paul Washer, he, he's a preacher. He talks about the paradox of the Christian life. He says, when I came to Christ, I learned about the holiness of God. And then when I learned about the holiness of God, then I saw my own sin which led me to brokenness because I realized how much I have fallen short. But then when I was broken, I looked back to Christ who supplies my every need and then I, that sorrow was turned to joy. And then he said, as the older I get, he says, the more I see the holiness of God, the more I see the holiness of God, the more I see my own brokenness. And the more that I see on my own brokenness, I'm forced to look back to God who supplies my every need and then I'm filled with joy. He said, it's the paradox of the Christian life. The constant joy in every situation, in all my failures, that is found in him. Where we take joy in God's power and his promises. And our hope is in him and his spirit. And when we have these things, we're strengthened. As Nehemiah says, remember we studied Nehemiah a few years ago. He tells his people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, our hope, our joy is constant. Because Jesus is constant. And so far, we have spiritual buoyancy and no matter what is going on in our lives. Church, God is so good. He's so good. The more that you look to him, the more you realize his goodness, which causes you to rejoice. 
And this is why some of you sit here and my words, they fall flat on you or you wonder why you don't experience this joy. If it's all about God and his power, why don't I experience this? I'll tell you why. This is a great illustration a pastor gave me once. He said, because far too many of us in the Christian life, we act like a, we act like a thermometer and we don't act like a thermostat. I mean, what's a thermometer do, right? It registers conditions. It tells you the temperature. What does a thermostat do? It controls the temperature. And we need to stop reading the thermometer of our mind and our lives and our circumstances. And we need to start setting the thermostat. We need to start saying, not responding to what's going on. And our emotions just be that thermometer, just, just reading the good or the bad. But the thermostat says, I'm going to set my mind to God no matter what is going on. And on the joy that I find in him, that is where I'm going to set my focus to be. How do you do that? Ephesians 4.8. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, spiritual buoyancy in our lives is a result of how somebody thinks. Too many of us, I do it too, we dwell on the negative, we live there, we stew on it. Paul says you need to focus on the things of God, to a, and it means to evaluate it, to consider it, to, to, to calculate. We must set the thermostat of our minds. I know one guy, he literally does this. When he gets wrapped up in the ugly of his lies, he goes up there and he goes, mm. he goes nope, setting this to the Lord. He goes like this, setting this to the Lord, which I thought was just silly when I first saw him doing it. But it's such an important thing that he does to remind himself to set his mind to the things of the Lord. On who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he has promised, and how he's commanded me to live. And all of these things, I am living proof, many of you are as well, that that brings a greater joy than the ugly that our circumstances can produce. Can anybody say amen? And every time you choose to do this, every time you choose to third, set that thermostat, you're taking yourself out of the ugly and you're returning, hear this, to the things that bring you joy. Then this is what Rejoice is talking about. Okay, let's go back to grammar class because I'm such an English major. Let's go back to, 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 to grammar class. Look at the prefix, rejoice, re, Right? It means once more, again, to return to, to remember, rejoice. It means to return to joy. When you're setting that thermostat and you're thinking on the things of the Lord, the things, whatever is true and honorable and just and, and lovely and commendable and excellent, what you do is you're returning to joy. This is the mistake far too many of us make. We don't return to joy when our circumstances get ugly. We don't return to joy when our thoughts get ugly towards other people or towards ourselves. Some of them, and, and uh, I'm, let me stop here, because far too many of us, we don't even have ugly about our circumstances, we don't have ugly about other people, but man, we have so many ugly thoughts about ourselves, about what we look like, and about our talents, and about our skills, and about our sin. But when you believe in Christ, you can't have ugly, because he's greater than the ugly, because it is the Lord who makes you beautiful. As you put your faith and your trust in him, as you are filled with his spirit, 
as he rubs out the ugly in your lives and he crafts you into something beautiful, as we read in Ephesians 2, a masterpiece. There's no room for ugly. Sure, maybe sometimes you get it wrong and you sin, but you also know how much more that you are capable of. Man, I got this wrong. I can't believe I did this, but I, I, I know I can do better. I know that I can be way better than this. I know where I can get to because of God. And then that, there's that hope right there. And that hope brings peace and it brings joy. See, you have discouragement in your life. You have two choices. You can either sit in the ugly or you can return to joy. The choice is yours. You can be a thermometer or you can be a thermostat. You do this, man. Some different ways you do this. This is one of the reasons that we sing on Sunday mornings, or I, I, I'm at home and I'll put on worship music or I'm in my car driving because it reminds me to return to joy. This is why we come to church so we can hear somebody pour God's word into us because it reminds us to return to joy or as we have conversations with other people. This is why the Bible studies are so important because it helps us to return to joy as we're surrounded by other people who've gone through struggles and then God's work to them and that gives us hope which brings us joy. And one of maybe the greatest things that we can do in returning to joy is when we just give God thanks. When we give God thanks, it seems so simple and yet it's so hard to do. Back to Philippians 4, right before he says, uh, you know, uh, whatever is true and whatever is, you know, and all those things, he says this. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, look, every time you come to God and pray, don't just ask for stuff, give him thanks. There is literally never a time in our lives where we pray where we should not give God thanks. Not a one. There is always room for thankfulness. And you got to think, most of you, you may know this, not know this, that when Paul wrote this, he's sitting in a prison. He's writing this while he is literally in a dungeon. Okay, there's no four-star jail, poop buckets in the corner. He's in pretty much in a cave. No AC, no heat, no TV screen. And yet he has a spirit of thanksgiving when he's a slimy dungeon. Why? Because he was recounting the blessings that he had in God. Man, sometimes we just need to get our lives in focus. He was great at this. Too often we just feel sorry for ourselves. We feel pity for ourselves. We love to have our pity parties. But Paul says, thank him. You always have room to thank him. He says, if you're in a dungeon, you thank him for your spiritual blessings of heaven and what God could possibly do. If you're in a dungeon, you can thank him for the simple blessings. Even though he was in a dungeon and he had a poop bucket. Oh, Lord, I'm glad I have a bucket better than the floor. I'm glad I have a roof over my heads. Literally, I'm serious. There is always something to give thankful for. Always. I'm telling you right now, unthankful people are unhappy people. Period. This is why in 1 Thessalonians he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in some circumstances, all. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Man, and, I, and sometimes it's an over and over and over thing. You, I mean, you're just having to do it constantly. 
Psalms 103 says, praise the Lord and let my soul not forget all his benefits. I had to do this this week. I had a really rough week this week. Just one thing after another. And then to top it all off, I said earlier, I broke my tooth. The day before I was going to a wedding where there would be cocktail hour and all of this incredible food and they were serving filet mignon for dinner. And I broke my tooth. I was filled with ugly. And then as I'm walking out the door, realizing my ugly, and I, and, and, and I just remember the Lord bringing back to me what I was preaching. What are you thankful for? And so I'm walking home, and I'm like, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I, I have a dentist. I'm thankful that I can afford to go see the dentist. Uh, I'm thankful that this you know, broken tooth doesn't seem to be super and cold and hot sensitive, right? I, and I start listing off all these little things that I'm thankful for. And I'm noticing even by the end of the parking lot that my attitude and my mindset starting to change because of the thanksgiving that I'm giving to God. You want to get rid of the thought, ugly thoughts in your life. You want to be able to rejoice. You set that thermostat. You thank him for what he's done. You thank him for what he's doing. And you thank him for his promises of tomorrow. And you will be able to find joy. And so my, my prayer for you as we go into the Christmas season where there's lots of opportunity for ugly, right? Is that the Holy Spirit will be prompting you little pokes over and over again to give thanks in all circumstances. That every time you pray, you will give thanks. That every time you have a conversation about anything in your life, there'll be words where you give thanks. When you're in your car, you'll be turning on the worship music and you'll praise Jesus. That as you open up God's word and you read it, you won't read it like a newspaper, but you'll read it and you'll see his promises and you'll give thanks. And joy will start to become a spiritual buoyancy in your life. And not only with yourself, but you will be a tool of rejoicing in others. When other people are having hard times, when your kids are struggling, or your spouse are struggling, or if you're single, your friends are struggling, or your coworkers are struggling, or whoever's struggling around you, that you will be that spiritual buoyancy. You will help them give thanks. You will help them rejoice. And that it will point people to Christ and the beauty that can only be found in him. I tell you, sometimes with the Lord, you can't rejoice in anything else, but you can always rejoice in the Lord. You can always rejoice in him to the fullest. If you let the Lord be your joy, your joy will never drive up. It will never dry up. All other things are but for a season, but God is forever and ever and ever. Make him your joy today. Choose to rejoice in him and watch it change all the ugly and turn it into something beautiful for his name and his glory. Amen, church.